Well, one of the differentiating marks of the present generation is the significant difference in attitude they have toward the future compared to previous generations before them. Uh, In the past, including my own generation, uh, as we thought about the future, the future generally held out possibility and promise of something better. But this present generation no longer looks at the future that way. This week I was reading in my Kindle and came across a quote that I thought summed up this problem very well. Mark Thompson says the following on his chapter, Luther on Despair. One of the perverse contradictions of our time is that so much effort has been expended to make life carefree and enjoyable, and yet still, for very many, all that life seems to offer is the grinding sense of being utterly lost, an overpowering conviction that there is no way forward and no way out. Well, this problem, my friends, can be summed up as the absence of hope. It's the absence of hope. The the future holds no promise of something better. And therefore, what is there to actually hope for? Well, Well, in contrast to this, the Christian lives with a hope that isn't dependent on the hopelessness of the world and the way the world is, but rather on how God will relate to us in the future. Our hope is based on something that goes beyond this this world. This is what Romans 5, 1 and 2 speaks of. Uh, In verse 2, again, it says, through him, that is through Christ, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And listen to what it says. And we rejoice in hope, in hope of the glory of God. Uh, if, If you were here for our first message on the Holy Spirit, we spoke about how the Holy Spirit is taking us toward glory. That's that's what he's doing. The hope of sharing in the glory of Christ and experiencing the eternal love of God in its fullness. Uh, What theologians, particularly of the past, used to call the beatific vision. The vision of, of seeing Christ as he is and being satisfied with him as we've never been satisfied before. It's the hope of of regaining the God-likeness that was lost because of sin. Earlier in the book of Romans, it says, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory, the glory of God. Our hope is that God has declared us right with himself, that is, he has justified us, and that he is going to recreate us to be everything that we were originally meant to be, but was lost through sin. This is, this is the, the glory of God that we have hope in. And th- this hope is, is further strengthened, according to verses 3 and 4 in our text, this hope is further strengthened by the trials of this life. It's clear from verse four that some trials cannot be overcome. They just have to be endured. 
But, but somehow this gritty endurance produces a deep maturity and strengthens hope. Endurance produces character and character produces hope, verse four. It strengthens hope because trials, and we all know this by experience, trials have a way of weaning us from our love of the world. Uh, We increasingly realize the more we get disappointed and, and difficulties come into our life and the more our idealism is shattered, is shattered we, we start to realize that, hey, this life isn't heaven after all. It's not heaven on earth. Yeah, there's a lot of great things about life down here, but this isn't it, my friends. We realize that there is a deep longing in our hearts for something that this world cannot ever offer us and this world cannot ever give us. I think of it like a a beautiful song that we've forgotten, a faint echo of its hauntingly beautiful music that that plays in our subconscious. We, We try to remember the song, to hear its music, but we can only recall brief portions here and there. It's, it's the music of heaven, of glory, of being accepted by God, welcomed by him into his eternal kingdom, being made like Christ, like an old rusty broken down, as you've seen on those, those television shows that restore stuff, an old rusty broken down car restored to its former glory and shine. We, we long for things like that. But lingering behind all that wonderful hope that we have, there often are nagging questions of doubt and anxious thoughts that emerge that sometimes can quietly torment us. What if God changes his mind about all this stuff? What if God decides in the future he doesn't want to actually have us there with him forever after all? What if everything that we have hoped out turns to be a fabric of our own imagination and none of it proves to be true in the end after all? What if we're just a bunch of deluded people? The answer to this very real fear that people often think of and some people are actually tormented by. In answer to that fear, the the Apostle Paul tells us something in verse five that is truly wonderful. How, How the Holy Spirit is given to us to confirm and assure us that the hope that we have is a sure hope and that we will never be disappointed in this hope. The giving of the Holy Spirit confirms our hope. The giving of the Holy Spirit confirms our hope. Now, look with me at verse five. And hope does not put us to shame because... God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Notice the word because. Uh, This word because then is is giving us a reason uh, for 
the fact that our hope is going to be sure. It's not going to be seen to be wishful thinking, but it's rock solid and dependable. And there are actually two reasons that are given here. One is a subjective reason in verse 5, but in verse 6 to 9, right after verse 5, we have an objective reason. That, that Christ indeed died for the ungodly. Listen, listen to this. Just, I'm going to do this really quick. Okay, We don't have time to make a sermon out of this. But verses 6 to 9, try to catch the argument that's being made here. For while we were still weak at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. Okay, That's the wicked and evil to the core people, which is us. Okay, Christ died for the ungodly, for one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare to die. But God shows his love for us in this, that while we are still sinners, Christ died for us. And then get, get, get number verse nine then. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. Here's the point being made in these verses. That if, that if Christ was willing to die for ungodly people who hate him, and are wicked and turn their back on him and scorn him, if he was willing to run after them and save them, then when you've come to him and trusted in him, even though you're weak and stumbling and full of sin, but you're still coming towards him and trusting in him and you've been justified, how much more is he gonna be after you and gonna save you and gonna work to make sure you're safe? If he's willing to do all that for the wicked, how much more will he do it for his people? You see, that's, that's the argument being made in verses six to nine. It's, it's unthinkable that God is going to treat those who have trusted him worse than the ungodly that he chased after. That's, that's the objective reason that we know our hope is sure. But then in verse five, we have this subjective reason that's given to us. God wants us not just to know the facts. He wants us to know something experientially that God is fully and eternally committed to us. So what we find in verse five are three big faith builders. And the first is found at the end of verse five. What we're gonna do is we're gonna work through verse five, the short verse backwards to forwards. The first great faith builder is, number one, the way the Spirit is received confirms our hope. The way the Spirit is received confirms our hope, okay? We're being taught now something about our experience of the Holy Spirit that is, is buttressing and strengthening our hope for the future, okay? This is what Paul is doing now. And notice something wonderful in those words at the end of verse five. It says, the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Did you catch it? The Holy Spirit is a gift from the Father to us. The Holy Spirit is not a reward for good behavior. The Holy Spirit is is not something owed to us because we have worked hard for his presence He is a gift. This is really significant, okay? Christ is spoken of repeatedly in the New Testament as a gift. Justification is spoken of as a gift. 
Eternal life is spoken of as a gift. Everything about how God relates to us is, uses the grace language of gift over and over in the Bible. Listen to some of these scriptures. Earlier on in the book of Romans, we are justified, that is declared right by God. God says we are in a right relationship with him. We are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Well-known verse, Romans 6, 23. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Uh, 2 Corinthians 9, where he's talking about the gospel and all that Christ is, says, thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. That's how kind of Paul sums up what has happened when Christ has come down to rescue us. It's a gift. The point regarding our hope is simply this, that every part of our, our future salvation is a gift, not something that's earned or deserved. God gifted us his son, and then God gifted us his spirit, and certainly then he will gift us eternal life. He will gift us all the things that he's promised us. The future, you see, the, the reason that we fear the future, the reason that we think that it, this might all be wishful thinking and it's not gonna actually turn out the way it is after all, the reason we think that is because deep down inside, we really feel like our failures and our sin, uh, at the end of the day, uh, our behavior is ultimately what's gonna make the difference in the end. Our, now, our behavior does matter. We have to live holy lives. Scripture says that. But that's never the ground of our salvation. You know this verse well, for by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. So, so here's the first way that our faith is solidified as we think about our future hope. The very way the Spirit is given to us. Okay? The, the Spirit is given to us as a gift. And because the Spirit is given to us as a gift, it assures us that our future salvation will also be gifted to us. Something we don't earn, something we don't deserve, something God gives to us as a gift of grace. But there's more. It's not only in the way the Holy Spirit is received that confirms our hope, but also, point number two, the way the Spirit is given confirms our hope. The way that the Spirit is given confirms our hope. Notice again, looking at verse five. By the way, this is just an amazing promise. Hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. This verse tells us that God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit. And this is a special word on two counts. First of all, what it, what it means by in its definition and also its grammatical form in the original language. You wouldn't catch that in the English, but it's in the perfect form. And this is a grammatical form that means the, an action that has happened and continues to happen. There's, there are con something happens with continuing results. The results continue. You know, uh, I, might, 
I might open the fridge and close the fridge and, and now the fridge is closed. I opened it, but it now it's closed. But it's not like that. It's, it's a, let me give you a simple illustration of what this looks like. It's, it's like hooking up a new house to the municipal water supply. It, 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 at one point, it's connected. At one point, the actual connection happens. But then guess what happens? From then on, wherever you, whenever you open the tap, the water supply is there. So it was connected at one point, but it has continuing results. What Paul is saying is that there is a continuous supply of the Spirit. There is a continuous supply of God's love through the Spirit to the believer. This is what the grammar tells us. But then the word itself is, is, is an amazing word. The word poured. We just, you know, we just think it just means, you know, make sure that's on there. You know, pouring it out. But it's, 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 it's a strong word. It's a, mean, it's a word that means abundant. It means uh, no holding back, uh, extravagance. It's, it's emphasizing that there's, there's a permanent flood of God's love. This is significant at, at several levels. First of all, we have to understand that this word pouring out that we find right here in, in verse 5 is often associated in the New Testament with the wrath of God. Revelation 16.1 says, And then I heard a loud voice from the temple telling the seven angels, Go and pour out on the earth the seven bowls of the wrath of God. Actually, if you looked at the ver- verse, um, chapter 16 of, of Revelation, you would find that word occurs several times, about seven or eight times. It just keeps talking about how these, this judgment of God is being poured out on the earth and, the, and it's being poured out with, with fury. It, it tells us how, how God's wrath will be meted out like a ferocious hurricane, like an overwhelming flood that is unstoppable. And this is kind of what we sometimes fear, isn't it? We fear that, that ultimately... What we're going to face is wrath, not salvation. But what this verse tells us is that instead of wrath, what God does for his, his children is he, he pours out on them torrents of love. Not, my friends, and this is, this is the thing, you know, I was telling uh, Josh in the pre-service prayer this is the, the verse that I especially wanted to preach to you this year about the Holy Spirit. And right now, I'm telling you the, the portion of the message that I especially wanted to pass on to you. This is the piece that I think we don't get. Okay, so are you listening? This is the most important thing I might say this whole year. That it tells us that God pours out his love through the Holy Spirit to us. Not little pieces of love, not, little, not a little crumb here and there, not an occasional hint of love, not a, not a little slap of cologne on the face, a little gentle mist of perfume to remind you of God's love. I mean, it's, 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 it's a drop kick into the swimming pool of God's love, okay? I, I tried to think of several illustrations, you know, soaked to the bone wet, sloshing in your boots. You know, that's what it is. You are covered, wet with his love. That's what this word means. It means a flood overcoming. 
You know, that's what it means with the wrath. When the wrath of God comes, you're swept away. There's no hope, no stopping it. But here now there's this, this flood of love. This is not a little light sun shower, but a torrential thunderstorm of God's love. I mean, what this, what this is saying, my friends, is it's telling us that God is super generous. God is super generous. Beyond what we can imagine. If, if the fact that the Spirit of God, the, the, very, the very person of the Spirit of God is gifted to us, if that doesn't startle you, then be startled at least by this, that, that God pours out in abundance and generosity his love upon you. The, the fact is, and this is what I've been praying about, that we can hear these things, you can hear a message like this, and it slides off us like a water off a duck's back. You've heard me talk about the difference between Teflon truth and Velcro truth. This is just becomes like a Teflon truth to us. And you know why that is? Because some of you were raised in homes where you received little or no affirmation. You rarely heard praise from your father or mother except when you performed well. The, the only time you ever knew that your parents were happy with you was when you accomplished something. When you got an A in math, when you scored the winning soccer goal, when you did something that made you stand out from your peers. And by the way, children that are raised that way become parents that raise their children that way. And the sad fact is, after now being in ministry for you know, 35 years, um, I have come to realize that 99% of homes are like this. Not all of them, but almost all are like this. So I just know that most of you were raised in homes like that. Love is a reward for good behavior in those homes. Untold numbers of homes withhold love when people fail. They withhold their presence. You know, they might not get angry, but they just, they just back off. They let, they, let them, they let people know that they're not happy with them just by not hanging out with them. They withhold their affection and they withhold their words of affirmation. And because that is so formative for all of us, we mistakenly think that God operates by the same principles. And therefore, when we read something like verse five, that God is extravagantly generous towards us, not according to how we behave, but just because he's generous, he's gifting, he's giving, we don't believe it. It just feels like words on a page. And what is this extravagant love you speak of? Imagine being so loved by somebody that the only language to describe it is of a flood of love. Now, I didn't write this down, but I'm going to tell you it anyway. And this is usually one of those little um, interludes that I tell Josh about that I think are going to be two minutes and they end up being 10 or 15. It makes the sermon way too long. It's tough. Today I'm going to do it anyway. 
I was thinking about what we all, hopefully we all love, and hopefully we all are loved. But there's two elements of love that we long for that we'll never get, okay? One is we long to be loved for who we are. People love us partially for who we are. But the fact is that we're sinful, and we fail, and, and the humans have a hard time loving people that way. But God can, love, God can love us completely for who we are. He doesn't love us because of who we are. Get that right, okay? He doesn't love us because we're sinful, because, but he loves us completely as we are, okay? He takes us as we are. It's an amazing thing to think about. There's nobody else that loves you the way God loves you that way. Nobody. You've never met anybody that loves you that way. But here's the other thing about love that we all long for. We long not just to be loved for who we are, you know, but we also long that the one who would love us would, would, would impart themselves fully to us. We long to have somebody give themselves completely to us. You see? So we want, we want to be loved completely, but we also want the person to come towards us and not hold back at all. And I'm telling you that you'll never get that from anybody in this life. All of us long for that. All of us long for that. But you'll never get that from anybody in this life. But God loves us this way, my friends. God does not love us in half measures. He is pure generosity. You know, the, the generous among us have caught this, this heart of God. That God loves to give, and he loves to give in abundance. Uh, who gave all that massive pile of, of gifts under the Christmas tree? God did. Do you, do you, do you, do you, can you picture in your, in your mind God laughing with joy as he, as he gives? You know, every time you see a parent looking at their kids running down the stairs to go open the gifts on, on Christmas morning, you know what that is? It's just a picture of God as we're running to open up all his gifts and God's laughing. He loves to give us so much. And I wonder if we've ever really realized that God is like this. Have we ever realized how generous and happy God is, how he loves to just give and give and give? I mean, that's what the story of the prodigal son is supposed to teach us, you know. The, the, it's, the, when we see the father running towards the son and, and embracing him and picking him up and loving him and welcoming him back, and then he, then he talks, when, when the older son is, is, is harsh towards his, his younger brother, the, the father is, entreats his older, even though he's harsh and legalistic, he's still loving and kind. That's what God's like, my friends. He's, he's generous beyond comprehension. Uh, the other day, John and uh, Joanne and I were, were watching uh, a Charlie Brown TV special together. Uh, I think it was the one about the great pumpkin. I didn't even say that. Did I say that right? Pumpkin. All right, got it. Um, though it should say Pumpkin. That's the, that's the, that should be the way we say it, but, but I digress. Um, and it's got that famous scene in the, in the, 
in the show where uh, Lucy pulls the football away from, from Charlie Brown just as he's about to kick it. You know, surprise, fool jump. <laughs> A lot of us think God's like that. But he's not like that, my friends. He doesn't ever set you up with a great hope only only to disappoint you in the end. And some of us feel that way about God. We don't think we can trust him. And we feel that we we might not be able to trust him because we we look at him through the lens of our, our own family failings. But God is so different from us. So, verse five, the gift of the Spirit and the abundant pouring out of God's love both point to God's generous heart towards us in Christ. And then this leads us to our last point in the text. The way the Spirit reveals God confirms our hope. The way the Spirit reveals God confirms our hope. Notice in verse 8, it says that God's love has been... Sorry, verse, uh, yeah, verse 8 says God shows his love for us, in that while we are still sinners, Christ died for us. So in verse 8, we have God demonstrating and showing love. But then in verse 5, it says, God's love has been poured into our hearts. You see that? One is demonstrated, one is poured right into our hearts. In other words, one is intellectually understood, the other one is experientially understood. I think verse 5 is the answer to Jesus' prayer in John 17, where he says, the love which you have loved me, that, that the love which you have loved me may be in them, and I in them. Uh, St. Augustine said this on that passage. He says, that is to say the Father loves us because in Christ he has chosen us before the foundation of the world. He who loves the only begotten, that is Christ, certainly the Father loves his only begotten Son. He who loves the only begotten certainly loves also Christ's members, that which he has joined to Christ, certainly loves also Christ's members, which through his instrumentality he engrafted into Christ by adoption. He, he loves Christ and he loves us as much as he loves Christ because he's joined us to Christ and we're part of him now. Robert Haldane says it this way, this sense of the love of God never exists in the human heart till communicated by the Holy Spirit. This sense of the love of God never exists in the human heart till communicated by the Holy Spirit. He goes on to say, those sinners should hear 10,000 times of the love of God in the gift of his son. They are never properly affected by it till the Holy Spirit enters into their hearts. It is the Holy Spirit that convinces us, convinces us deep inside on the, on the sense level that we are loved by God. It's one thing to know we are loved by God in our brain, in our rational. We can say, yes, That's the answer. I know that's true. I think I believe it. It's another thing to deeply believe it. You know, God could have poured anything into our hearts. He could have poured his justice into our hearts. He could have poured his righteousness into our hearts. He could have poured his wisdom into our hearts. 
But what does he choose to lavishly pour into our hearts? His love. Because God wants us to know how much he loves us. He wants us to know deep in our souls, not just in our rational brains. He wants us to know. I want my kids to know how much I love them. I want my wife to know how much I love her. God wants us to know how much he loves us. And I know that some of you here have never experienced this really. And it burdens me as your pastor. Some of you have not experienced this because you've never really put your faith in Christ. He has offered this gift to you, but you've never opened the gift. So the gift stands, sits there unopened under the tree. God's given it to you. He's waiting at the side, sitting on the sofa, waiting to see you open it. He says, hey, Tim, come on down. There it is. And it just, you live in your life, the, the, the present stays unopened under the tree year after year. To all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. So some haven't experienced this just because they never opened the first gift, the, the giving of Christ for us. But others, and this is, I think, would be the majority of those here today, others have understood Christ and his gift of salvation, but you've always thought that the Spirit was a reward for good behavior and was only reserved for the, for the spiritually mature. You, you've never acknowledged, really acknowledged, that the Holy Spirit is as much a gift as Christ is. And, and the Spirit's ministry in your heart is received in exactly the same way that you received Christ's ministry by faith, trusting in the promise of what he tells you is true. And I love the way the message paraphrase says it in Galatians 3.5. Answer this question. Does the God who lavishly provides you with his own presence, his Holy Spirit, working things in your lives you could never do for yourselves, does he do these things because of your strenuous moral striving or because you trust him to do them in you? Let's pray. So Father, I, I ask again, as I asked many times this week, that you will, uh, your Holy Spirit will work in our hearts and convince us, uh, deeply convince us of how much you love us. And Lord, I, I ask that you will forgive us for the way that we have um, looked at you through the failings of our parents and people that were, that were around us, teachers and students and even sometimes Christians who have uh, only given us love when we did what they wanted, when we performed well, uh, but withheld love and words of affirmation and encouragement if we didn't perform well, if we didn't do the right thing. And, and now we've taken that filter and, and placed it on you and we think you're like that. And please forgive us for trying to make you in our image. 
And we want to, by faith, receive what you have done. And we, we believe it. And we know the Spirit is, is as much a gift as Christ is. And that you are a generous God. You are a God that is generous. And you give us way more than we deserve. You, you delight to do this. There is something about you, God, that is just utterly amazing. That you would chase us down and seek and save the lost and do all these things. Oh, Lord, just, oh, if only we could believe how much you love us. I ask that you'd help, help us today, help people today to leave and this week and this coming months to believe and to know and experience how much you have loved them deeply, forever. And that love will never uh, go away and that you truly love us the way that we've always longed to be loved. That you love us fully as we are. You also give yourself to us fully. The thing that we long for more than anything is found in you and in you alone. So we are so grateful. We are so grateful for being such recipients of grace and mercy. And we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.